0: our
1: reading
0: yeah. That's That's a a that might have been you've, you've been doing some reading That's That's and let us
1: begin. poetry night rings through all right well then we will start with miss mary eliza crane let's welcome her to the scene
0: So thank you for having us here. Geeks. She doesn't like poetry. It's just dandelions blowing in the wind. Rather, superheroes, mythic creatures, fairy tales, and quarks. But her travels on the map run through galleries of inner bark where beetles lay their eggs and incubate their young. I wonder why... Our most creative minds are writing code when all that's young and green can breathe the carbon from the air. And wings Samara, seeding maple with the wind, are nothing less than God. <laughs> Mosaic. My eyes catch white letters on a black shirt gray curly hair atop a tall frame an unfamiliar face and meaningless words already forgotten I'd switch seats three times looking for a quiet spot in the coffee shop settled outside where slivered sunlight now and then would warm my back away from noisy chatter, background music and into a steaming mug of green tea and poetry I read of fireweed and German bombs, but like a butterfly flapping wings across the South China Sea, book in hand, the man with curly hair sits across the open deck, closes in the space surrounding me. I note chips and mosaic tile in the cafe table my own serious reflection in a nearby window and am still reading the same poem of fireweed and German bombs. I want to uncover the lines on his face, discover the words held in his hand, but my eyes cast down to contemplate mosaics and my own reflection in the butterfly disturbance and distraction of fireweed and German bombs. I stand up restlessly to fill my mug again with tea, my book face down, spine turned away, for privacy, to shade my defenselessness. He smiles at me. I hold his eyes too long, won't expose animal fear, caged nakedness. I don't smile back. He leaves and I am alone with the warmth of splintered sun in a cloud-fractured sky, turbulence in mosaic, and butterfly wings flapping in the atmosphere. Eggshells. Windows left open to the rain, doors agape, let insects in and out To gather against the screens Spiders spin deftly into corners Drop clustered egg sacs. I cultivate a web of life My children's cracked shells Scatter across the earth Like seeds aloft on the wind I strain to remember Robin egg blue cradled in a thicket Hummingbird nestled on a berry twig. Time is not a metaphor. (laughs) I become quickly accustomed to living alone. Small, simple meals, hummus and figs, spinach and eggs, rice, a few slices of cheese. I no longer track the comings and goings of not-yet-adults. Piles of shoes, plates on the counter, sudden changes of mood. There is never a full load of laundry. The well does not run dry. Baths are long and luxurious, hot and scented, patchouli or cedar in salt. I lock the door at night now. Like a woman who lives alone with the wolves. Like a woman who lives alone in the woods at peace with the wolves, but not so sure of the hunters. I slip into cool sheets and drift into twilight sleep. My lovers are old men, face cradled in soft chests of gray bristling hair, a mirror of uncluttered want, communion of pure need. Six years later, she writes her divorce poem. (laughs) I'm on an empty sandy beach 3,000 miles from home Because this is where you ran to Pent-up whales escape with sobs and cries Sea otter, kelp, and heron in the dark Our marriage wasn't supposed to fail But I imagine everyone feels this way As foreign to you as you to me, coming from the anxious Presbyterians, constant static background chatter of Germany and World War II, as if the intervening years hadn't brought us Vietnam and changed us all. They had brandy, church, cherry pies, and children they adored. What they really felt was left unspoken. What could you know of a rough and tumble childhood with alcohol, tangled hair and unwashed floors, a surging tide of anger slamming doors? The years of therapy? You only knew us when we all came clean. Did you know how hard I struggled with every glass of dinner wine we shared until I stopped and left you scrubbing out your arteries alone? I still loved you like the river in the rain But when our hearts lay side by side at night You brought to bed your wine-dark breath And all my child fears of death From loneliness and pain My grandmother's diary Heavy As her rosary beads worn smooth Heavy with the weight Of one finger alone Removed from a body bag While her oldest son Was still imprisoned In a German camp She quit her job This woman who knew poverty And the heavy hand of God She quit her job Unloading war dead From transport planes Catherine Boland Crane Knew poverty and the gravid weight of her husband's heart attack. He saved a hard luck neighbor endeavoring to die at the end of an exhaust pipe. Instead, John died and left her with the gravid weight of babes in arms, her sister, four small children, and Jesus on the cross in every room. A small old house, a little spot of bottom land on the Mill River, the Irish ghetto In Florence, Massachusetts, along with Jesus, she turned the other cheek. In Florence, Massachusetts, they make caskets, and the meek shall inherit the earth. The earth made of turnip, potatoes, and cabbage, Latin, and children. Weary fingers pointed towards a less than gentle God. Inheritance. After our mother died, my brother called and asked about my dental work. She didn't know our inheritance would go to porcelain crowns and root canals. He was her oldest favorite. I was her middle least. Yet from childhood, we locked the bathroom door for privacy, to share our tales of adolescent woe and not quite lost virginity. After our mother died, he was speaking in Perugia, found the town of Ficarola, sleeping in an elbow of the Po. He met a grocer named Manessi, whose father was Luigi, and was saddened not to tell her of her ancestral home. In our younger years, we drank and smoked, then both got sober. Later, We both got married not so well and then divorced. He wed again. He's by the beach in Narragansett. I'm in the mountains to the east of Puget Sound. Not so different from the days behind the bathroom door or poking one another in the car. Now we read one another's books and both love poetry. After our mother died, when I said goodbye, he said, I miss you. The secret of a perfect pie crust is white flour, Crisco, and Shirley's recipe from her 1929 Home Ec. book. I was the only daughter-in-law she would ever have, and she did not want the skill to die. Now, I'm not one for fussy domestic arts, rather thick bean stews and unpeeled vegetables, stuff you don't have to measure or time. She bought the rolling pin, pie plate, Crisco, and a vegetable peeler, too. The quiche pan was wrapped under the tree. She fretted I'd add too much water, hovered, afraid I would toss a bit too much with the fork and toughen the dough, showed me how to flute the rim, all the while telling me her sister makes a prettier crust than she. I wonder for the zillionth time why she feels inferior to her crazy sister Barb who hasn't left her house in years, all the while wondering how I am supposed to roll out an unmixed pile of slightly damp flour into something that could hold a pie. But never mind the holes, she says. You can always put in patches. So I did. For some reason, I kept on making pie crusts. The kids knew to stay out of the kitchen, my temper close with frustration, until I ignored the recipe, added enough water, changed Crisco to butter, and eventually discovered the food processor. (laughs) By then, it didn't really matter. She was okay for a few years after Nick died. But then the neighbors worried, brandishing kitchen knives in the driveway, in her housecoat and bedroom slippers, taken away to the hospital, handcuffed in a cop car, defiant all the way, Shirley's one and only stand. I saw her last three weeks ago, hard to rouse, harder to focus, face no longer animated by expression. She hadn't recognized me in years. But her eyes opened for one short moment Saw a face she knew she loved And who loved her Lit the room with her emotion It was our goodbye She wasn't heroic like my father Or bold and daring like my mother Just a 1950s housewife with a sweet tooth The kind of mother other people had With a tattered, grease-stained paper tucked between the pages of a book, she somehow became mine. And that's for Shirley Smith-Roman, who died in 2009. (laughs) Friday night. With a flash of white, an eagle splits the seamless gray of sky and river in the rain. At your house, the key sits on a dusty beam. The kettle steeps with tea. Coals in the stove, stoked with white grain alder, uprooted in another winter, dried to perfection in a blazing summer sun. Quiet taps of heat expanding glowing flames against dark red walls burn deeply into blackness of the night. Clothes peeled, two more blankets piled on my side, burrowed down with steaming mug and book into soft gold light. I dissolve into the echo of rain upon the roof. By what unlikely stroke of grace does this define a life? The canopy encloses in elemental hues of green and gray. Absent are the blues. I wake early on these longest days to the only sound of drowning rain, drip drop, leaf to leaf. Across the globe, dark-skinned women on parched earth pierce skyward through a shimmering haze, beseeching liquid gold. It's the lucky ones who hope the next war doesn't strike too close to home. My seeds sleep in sodden soil while another mother's wither in the dust. At night, each in a dark chill, we dream the same dreams, pray to the same gods. After the apocalypse came warm rain A hole of light, hazy in the dark sky Can you feel the end of the long deep breath Kelp suspended The smell of damp earth falling in the arms of a lover Returning from the war Trying to remember how to weep Thank you Mary
1: Eliza Crane Mm -hmm. Let's welcome Peggy Barnett to the stage It's very nice, huh? Yeah. Okay, well, my uh, my book is about uh, my memoirs. It's of growing up in uh, Queens, New York. I was born in 1945. My parents arrived in Queens from the Holocaust in 1939. And uh, I grew up in an Irish and Italian working class neighborhood and went to public school there. And these poems are, were written for my daughter to kind of keep her, to keep the knowledge going of what it was like growing up at that particular time. And I try to do it with humor. There was a lot of pain, but I try to do it with humor. And, uh, this first one is called The Longest Word. It was in the schoolyard of P.S. 89 Queens in 1955 that I first heard the longest word of my life, (laughs) anti-disestablishmentarianism. Ralph Hammerbacher said it fastest, anti-disestablishmentarianism. And we each repeated it ourselves, amazed at our brilliance, at our ability to so conquer the English language. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. We whipped out the word while sitting at the soda parlor counter, the jukebox playing, Bing Crosby singing, Would you like to swing on a star? As we ate the scrumptious banana splits Mr. Walkie concocted out of his homemade ice cream, the secret recipe for which he brought with him from Vienna after the war. He never put his bananas in the refrigerator. No, 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 no. They melted sweet and ripe under the vanilla-scented whipped cream. I rolled it out again quickly, trippingly on my tongue, anti-disestablishmentarianism. But it wasn't bigger than the word we had learned yesterday in science, hydrogen. That word was really scary because it was followed by the small word, bomb. And uh, a lot of these poems were well, I came to the Northwest in two thousand and six, and a lot of these rainy winters have produced a lot of poetry <laughs> i, I, I don 't know if I would have done it if I was living in Florida, you know, but um, <laughs> but uh, my mind you know my mind is in the present, and it suddenly reminds me of something that I see something or pick up a piece of a book, an old book, an old letter, and my mind. Just jumps back to the bat to the past like a Pushtin kind of a thing. This is called "On Your Left," and this was written on the after uh, on the Sammamish bike trail. On your left, my legs pump gently in the late afternoon. Blue reflections of trees in water. On your left, a black butt streaking past me, calves bare, bulging biceps. Fifty-one years since I last rode a bicycle. Memories of streets lost to malls, fairyland, casino park, down Corona Avenue, buried trolley rails shining through the asphalt on their curving way over the orange pebbled concrete of Newtown Bridge. Howard Johnson's peaked orange roof. Intense thoughts of a 15-year-old on a rudge. On your left, I saw it in a thrift shop, all French and silver. It was 35 years old. I guess I bought it to prove that it could still work, just like me. I sit upright and carefully, a woman past a certain age, a red Pierre de handbag tied to the handlebars with my blue cross card inside, just in case. Wearing a light blue rollerblade helmet in anticipation of World War I. On your left! My wobble is dangerous to your health. You fear me. Where are you going passing me by so fast, so intense? Life is to be savored like a really good cappuccino. He flashes by. When you get there, you're there. You turn around and you're here. I ride on alone. The wheels turn alone. A good way to get away. On your left, I pass 50 gray waterfront homes to lease. Ticky tacky little boxes all in a row. A lady with a cat on her lap smiles at me A blackberry in the sun Cow smell, horse smell, great hit, cheering crowd Empty green benches I remember the windmills of Holland 30 years ago Tall tree shadows in the slanting sun My crotch starts to burn I didn't know it could still burn (laughs) It's been a long time Joggers panting in Hindi under the overpass. Up is hard, very hard. I struggle to stay in motion every day. I shout, On your left, I pedal faster. I am running with the wolves. I am going for the old gold with silver threads amongst. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, One of the... um, one of the things that happened after World War II and during World War II was a lot of refugees uh, went to Africa, and it's not necessarily that well-known. Many of them went to Kenya. Many of them went to the Belgian Congo. My aunt and uncle went to the Belgian Congo, and there they founded a hotel in a small town called Lulua which was a mining town. Well, in 1948, my mother... Decided to pick up myself and my sister Who was older than me, seven years older And we all went to Africa And I don't remember that much of it We were there for a couple of years But these are the memories of a child in kindergarten In a convent school in Africa A Jewish child, of course The only one in the convent school But there was no place else to put me You know, So it's called The Lady in Blue Yesterday, I framed my Fra Angelico, Prince of Angels. I had bought them many years ago in Florence. Set into a long gold frame with four little squares edged in gold rope, the winged musician angels float in a gold sky, harps, violas, trumpets held high. The lady in the blue dress is beautiful. Her robe, the blue of the deepest blue sky, day swirls around her feet. Covering her golden hair is a blue gauze veil. Her blue eyes gaze upwards, her eyebrows a pencil-thin line barely there. A tiny red mouth between pale peach cheeks in an oval face tilted slightly to the right. She floats on a cloud, sun rays streaming from behind her gold-haloed head. Golden stars surround her. She holds a little golden-haired child that gazes at me, A gilded frame of lilies in green leaves winds around the edge of the card, the size of a playing card given to me by Sir Anne Marie, the nun who is my teacher. It is a painting of the Virgin Mary, but I don't know that. I'm the little five-year-old Jewish girl in the jungle with no other school to go to than the local convent Catholic school. My sister takes me every morning on the back of her bicycle. When it rains, it rains, great big drops one by one spaced far apart turn the road to mud so we walk instead I love the picture of the lady in blue she's so beautiful but my mother takes it away after she finds out that I have been to confession on my knees at the altar had opened my lips for the wafer of no taste to melt on my tongue had sipped sweet wine from the silver chalice after that I sit in the back of the church The outcast alone in the dark denied the warm light of the candles, the ancient smell of frankincense and myrrh. The language is French, and thrown on my own devices, I struggle the best as I can. A sheet is hung between two poles, and voila, a puppet theater in kindergarten. Our shoes are the puppets. One by one, the children duck behind the sheet, put the shoes on their hands, hold them high up for all to see, and make them talk and sing. Essi fong, 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 le petite marionette, the nun never calls on me to sing. I still have the little paper notebook, the words the art graphique printed elegantly on its now brittle brown cover. I still see it on the wooden desk I shared with a little boy who once peed in the classroom, a wet puddle spreading under us. Sister was very angry. Inside the book is my artwork, a sitting black cat torn from shiny black paper, two camels and a palm tree colored brown and green, the word Noel with a candle, childish icons from a lost French civilization in the Congo. How strange, then, that my mother chose to pack it and bring it back with her to New York so I could now refind it in Maltby. To this day, I love images of angels, blue veils with stars and halos, feathery wings on their shoulders. They are the messengers. I see them climbing the ladders between heaven and earth, their toes barely touching the rungs as they rise upwards. I see myself with wings, I fly up into a golden sky, stars floating all around me, singing. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Now we get um, into junior high school. And I don't know about you, but for me, junior high school was like one of the worst times of my, maybe the worst time of my life. Um, this one is called After the Ball is Over and um, as a prelude I just want to say that for two years I was kind of part of um, I helped facilitate a senior center poetry group of which probably the youngest poet was 83 or 84 and the oldest one was 95 and um, they all wrote poetry and some of it was wonderful and some of it wasn't so wonderful but But the stories they told were wonderful. They they told stories of of a time in America that I had never even thought of. I mean, being raised in log cabins and working on the railroads. So um, this poem was written while I was at the senior center one day on Wednesday afternoon for their dance hour. It's called After the Ball is Over. After the ball is over, after the break of morn, after the dancers leaving, after the stars are gone, many a heart is aching, if you could read them all, many the hopes that have vanished after the ball. After the ball was a 1890s popular song. The Good Times Band is playing on the stage of the Senior Center Ballroom. Sparse gray hair, blue suits, old sax. They gently play Tennessee waltz as the woman glides in her wheelchair, her pusher sliding her feet in three-quarter time. The smooth gym floor is perfect for dancing on Wednesdays, silver memories suspended in time. Two gentlemen are sitting on either side of me, breathing heavily after dancing. Gnarled hands on knees, smooth bottomed shoes, striped shirt bellies curved over western belt buckles. She's in her 80s in a blue spangled sweater, shiny black pumps with straps, silver hair and a beehive. Still a hoofer and very picky about her partners. The band picks it up with sweet Georgia Brown in a quick two-step. Feet and reflections move faster in small circu- circles. Everybody's doing it, doing it, doing what? Everybody's doing it, the turkey trot Chests heaving, hips hurting After an hour the crowd thins Leaving the floor to the more hardy. The slim younger couple in their fifties Enjoy the afternoon Accomplished dancers, he leads her backwards Palm tight against the small of her straight back She in her little black dress Calves like closed fists I admire the brave ones Women blind to the ravages of age, not afraid, like me, to say yes to an older, older man. What could possibly happen now, Mother? Coat hangers put away the old Molly Blooms of the ballroom. Yes, they say, yes, yes. There are still those of us who sit in chairs on the side and watch. I put my head down, remembering. I'm 13 in the huge gym for my junior high school graduation prom, awful band playing blue suede shoes I stand with excess crinoline sticking out a corsage on my pointy left breast no one asks me to dance we rejects stand with our arms crossed over our chests weight on one leg the other knee bent I turn my back on a blonde slow dancing girl later I look across the room and see her resting on the floor her back against the pale green tiled wall her frilly skirt hiked up on her bent knees. A red stain is showing on her white underwear. How am I to deal with this painful vision? Tell her and end what is available for all to see with death by embarrassment? Not tell her and continue the exhibition of her womanly shame? Eyes quickly look and flick away. Boys have now talked themselves to see and snigger, grins among the pimples. I move to her, Bend down my face to her face Telling her Watching her eyes widen in horror Her legs snap down I walk away Later on my way to the bathroom I see her in the hallway Face to the tile wall Crying on her fists But what can I say I have said enough So I leave the dance Walking the long walk home alone In the humid darkening night My new white flats scraping the sidewalk and the band plays on with dancing cheek to cheek As I watch Fred and Ginger dip and sway Feet tripping to the foxtrot Pacemakers working overtime <laughs> This is um, also about dancing But it also takes place in public school In the, I think it was in fourth grade or something it's called Last Tango in Queens The smell of Mrs. Rocher's soft wrinkled breasts Pushed up against my chin By her huge face-powdered cleavage Is in my nostrils The rigid corset containing her amplitude Creaks under my fingers Which are holding the small of her back A 78 RPM record Is playing begin the begin You lead, she commands looking over my head at her fourth-grade girls and boys, reluctantly paired off in the gray basement of PS89 Queens in 1954, a chain gang learning social dancing. Step right, step together, left foot forward, step together. Someone has memories. (laughs) My stomach is pressed against her thighs, feeling the garter belt clamps holding up the nylon stockings under her black skirt. There was a horrifying rumor that she took off her pink panties before every class. <laughs> My mother taught me how to dance before I could walk with a Viennese waltz around the room as she hummed the Blue Danube waltz, da-da-da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. La Cumpara initiated an Argentine tango with dips across the living room floor, a Cuban cha-cha-cha. I knew them all by the age of nine. Mrs. Roche had watched me and noticed. She always picked me to dance with her. She loved my foxtrot and my rumba. The other children watched me relieved not to be the chosen one. She was actually a good dancer. It must have been the highlight of her dreary day. I dreaded Tuesday afternoons. As I got older, my ballroom dancing ended. My mother died. I married someone who couldn't dance couldn't be taught. No one else asked me to dance. But when I think about it, if Mrs. Roche came up to me right now and asked, shall we dance? I would answer yes. I'm taller now, so we could dance together cheek to cheek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My father took me to Coney Island in the summertime, all the time. And we would get on the train and uh, go from Queens out to Rockaway and to Brighton Beach. And this was um, a memory that I had of, of Coney Island back in 1952. The sand was so hot that summer of 1952 in Coney Island that I sat under the boardwalk with my father where the sand was damp smelling of old seaweed and Coney Island whitefish and melting wax cups shadows of moving feet above play black notes of music below holding his hand we walk the midway John Henry's hammer bell clangs as screaming riders sing to calliope ragtime the wall of the funhouse was painted red A square black hole in the mouth of a grinning red-nosed clown wearing yellow shoes and a blue bowler hat was the entrance. My father paid the fat man and sent me from the sun into the darkness. I slowly took a few steps into the night cringing when the skeleton reached out for me as the ancient gypsy fortune teller automaton in a glass booth with her tattered flowered dress and a dirty gypsy bandana around her forehead laughed loudly at me shaking her head I had to go forward a dirty velvet curtain led me to moldy smelling pitch darkness touching soft walls forever my only way out This led to another curtain into a shining, blinding maze of mirrors. Suddenly, there was a small, frightened seven-year-old staring at me, asking how to get out. I followed the cigarette butts, keeping my feet on the real floor, touching the cold glass on top of other greasy handprints, seeing myself over and over and over. A pair of shiny yellow shoes are sticking out from behind the corner of a mirror. Real shoes waiting. A dark shadow of a man who slowly comes towards me, eyes under a hat. I panic. I run as fast as I can, banging into mirrors, sharp edges to get out, to get out. Don't look back. Follow the real floor. Until bursting into a long blue hallway, I find myself standing on a dirty, moving red Persian carpet, a conveyor belt that travels so fast I have to sit down as it winds its way down, down, down in a series of bumpy little waterfalls. I'm spit out of another clown's grinning mouth right into the long legs of my waiting father into the sunlight, crying. He laughs and says, It's only a fun house. Taking my hand in his, we walk away as old wax paper plates blow in the ocean wind. I look back and I see a man in yellow shoes wearing a bowler hat, sitting on the carpet, riding calmly out of the clown's mouth. He looks at me smiling and waves. It? So, I don't. Do I still have time for one more? Or how are we doing on time? Yeah. Okay. All right. This one is kind of my uh, epiphany about leaving New York and coming here. And um, it's called Crossing the River. We were very tired. We were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. That was from Recuerdo By Edna St. Vincent Millay In 1922 Sitting on the Kingston Ferry on a clean formica Bench at the large yellow table The motor rumbling and humming Under the cars and pickup trucks Neatly lined up on the lower deck Like little ducks The coffee smelling good Looking out a large picture window At the broad expanse of Puget Sound Wavy blue in the setting Afternoon sun I wonder at the simplicity of it all, the space of it all. When I die, I want you to take my ashes to the Staten Island Ferry. Get on board and find a wooden bench. Take the ride from Manhattan Island to Staten Island. Get off on the other side and pay to go through the turnstiles again. Then take the ride back. Carry my ashes in a square white box tied all around with cotton twine as if it was the bakery box full of Danish we took when we went to visit Aunt Matilda. (laughs) Listens to the engines roaring so loud that speech is impossible as ketchup-beaked seagulls raucously fly around dipping and diving and squawking like the noisy, ill-natured New Yorkers they are. The wooden deck outlined by metal rails barely contains the riders crossing the Hudson, whose current pushes the boat sideways, as if wanting to take it along out to the sea. That summer of 1958, I went with some music and art high school friends to ride the Staten Island Ferry. We carried our guitar cases to a wooden bench, and sitting down together began to sing songs. Of love and union maids and atomic bombs and terriers and dancing in the city square, as the river's wind blew our hair sideways across our faces, sidelit with the gold light in the setting afternoon sun, when we got to Staten Island, we stayed on the boat because it was free, and we were free, and it belonged to us, and the sailors didn't care. Back and forth we went, bouncing into the water-blacked pilings on the Manhattan side, bouncing into the rotted pilings on the Staten Island side, bouncing back and forth all afternoon until the sun was gone and the full moon came out to become the Statue of Liberty's halo around her silhouetted spiked crown. We were very young. We were very merry. Jordan's river is deep and wide. Hallelujah! Meet my mother on the other side. Hallelujah. Ask the captain to blow two long tones of his horn to mourn me as you throw right the box of my ashes into the water on the seaward side of the boat and watch it swept along by the rushing dark current to that place where the Hudson meets the East River and caught by that maelstrom that is the confluence of the events of my life. It disappears down and down into its whirling depths. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy.
0: That was Peggy Barnett. And Mary Eliza Crane. Steal air. I don't want to. out the challenge. steal air. I don't want it out the town, steal air. I don't out the air. challenge, in air. it out the challenge. steal in Back to your regularly scheduled poetry meeting. Go for it. Go for it. I'm about you.